facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. So good to be with you. A tremendous Thursday to you. It's December the 21st, 2023, and I'm so glad you're with me because this is our last live show of the year before our Christmas break, and we've got a really fun surprise coming up for you during the break, and I'll tell you about that later. But I want to give out the phone number first, 888-914-9149, 914 9149. You can also, of course, follow me on the X app at Kale Clark, C A L E Clark with an E. And you can email the program right to me. Questions, comments, I'd love to hear them. The address is Kale, C A L E at relevantradio.com. Well, we've got a jam packed show for you today. It's so exciting. Many of you might be procrastinating a little bit. I don't know if you guys struggle with that. Uh, I certainly do. Guilty as charged. If you could see me right now, I'm raising my hand in shame. But procrastination is something that we absolutely have to overcome. Maybe you're procrastinating when it comes to buying your Christmas gifts. There's still some time, but not too much. Maybe you procrastinated at work. Maybe you're procrastinating in your personal life. Things you got to get done. There is a cure for this, but you've got to understand how it all works literally in your head first. Well, we're going to be talking about the science, the neuroscience of procrastination, how to beat it, because, of course, grace builds on nature. I'm going to ask the question, did Jesus kind of procrastinate when it came to his incarnation, his first advent? Not really, but uh, there is something that you might want to know about that. I'll be sharing that later, but here's the deal. We've got to talk about what I call joy to the womb first, because today's gospel reading is the Annunciation. And I just love this from Luke's gospel. It's from Luke chapter 1. And this is just a just an amazing passage because Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country. And I want to just read this passage to you before we explain it. Because there's so much that we can learn from this. A lot of people are not experiencing Christmas joy as they should. And I think Mary can give us a, a really good antidote to what ails us on that front. So we can really uh, enter into the festivity of this incredible season, what's left of Advent, just a couple of days before we get into Christmas Day and the season of Christmas. So if you want to open your Bibles with me, you can open them up to Luke chapter 1, as I am doing right now. As Father Simon likes to say, the big book on the coffee table. Well, here we go. In Luke chapter 1, we read these words. And this starts with Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a city of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary launches into her famous Magnificat. Let's uh, see what she says here. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth 
All generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his posterity forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And that three months, the mention of three months by Luke is very, very key. It's very important for understanding this. And Dr. Ted Sri, in his book, Dawn of the Messiah, he mentions this point. It's a really good point. That John the Baptist, who, of course, uh, is still in the womb of Elizabeth during the visitation scene, though he's a little bit older, three months older than Jesus, John the Baptist and Jesus are essentially living parallel lives at this point. And everything that happens to one happens to the other. Think about this. Before they're born, before they're conceived, their parents receive special knowledge, divine knowledge, quite literally, about their coming conceptions in an almost identical manner. In fact, the same archangel, Gabriel, visits both Zechariah, who becomes the father of John the Baptist, and Mary, who, of course, becomes the mother of our Lord. We can see this in Luke chapter 1. We already talked about the Annunciation to Zechariah the other day. Yeah, he gets an Annunciation as well. The second one is to Mary, and you could really say there's a third one in the New Testament, the Annunciation to Joseph. He gets an angelic message as well about this whole situation, but that's in Matthew's Gospel, so that's really not fair. Let's let Luke be Luke here. Well, Zechariah and Mary both have this response of fear initially. They're troubled, as, as anybody would be if they were to see just an absolutely fearsome angelic creature standing before them. Uh, not exactly with cherub wings here, I don't think, looking all, all kind of puffy cheeks and everything. No, this is, this is a, a terrifying sight to be visited by an angel, to be touched by an angel, as it were. But Gabriel has to tell them both, do not be afraid. And so he says this to Zechariah. He says the exact same thing to Mary. Gabriel says both of them are going to have a son, and there's going to be some divine intervention in both. Now, obviously, the conception of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin, that's on a totally different level than the conception of John the Baptist. But still, God is involved because Elizabeth, John's wife, or Zechariah's wife, rather, is well past her childbearing years. So, so God intervenes there for sure to make her fertile once again. Gabriel also says this. Here, here, here are the names. He actually picks the names. You don't get to go to any kind of, you know, baby website to pick these names. No, I'm going to tell you, Zechariah, you're going to name this kid John. And this is one of the things that amazes, of course, his relatives when he finally gets his speech back. More on that in a second. But Gabriel says, these are the names you're going to give these kids. He also says that both children will be great. He says the exact same thing. He says to Zechariah, your son is going to be great. He says to Mary, your son is going to be great. Much greater, of course, but still, he uses the same language. And Zechariah and Mary both ask questions to Gabriel. And they say essentially the exact same thing. Zechariah says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Mary says, how shall I, how shall I, she essentially says the same thing. How shall I know this? She uses slightly different words. How shall this be, since I have no husband? Now, Zechariah 
is asking from a posture of doubt. He doesn't think it can happen, but Mary's simply saying, okay, how can this happen? I'm not doubting this, but how are we going to do this, essentially? And it's interesting because in Luke one thirty four, she says, how shall this be since I have no husband? This seems to intimate that Mary had made a prior vow of virginity. I, I believe this. That's a very strange question for an engaged woman to ask because don't forget, at this point, Gabriel has said nothing, nothing at all about a conception and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's just simply said, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah, essentially. And that was every young Jewish girl's dream. Mary is already engaged to be married. I'm sure she had at least a rudimentary understanding, hey, this is where babies come from. So how can this be? If you're you're an engaged woman, you're saying, well, how, how am I going to have a kid? That's a very strange posture to take, unless unless you have a, a, a prior vow, a promise to God of virginity. So, of course, this is when Gabriel has to explain, okay, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Oh, okay, now I get it. So, there's so many parallels here between Jesus and John, and this kind of goes into their early years as well. Uh, don't forget, after they're both born... Luke talks about the circumcision of John and how he gets his name. Zechariah has to write on a tablet, you know, was it an iPad with an Apple Pencil? Probably not, but he says his name will be John. And that's in uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 58 to 66. And then Jesus, of course, is also circumcised and given his name. He's taken to the temple, the presentation. When John is named. He praises God in thanksgiving, does Zechariah, for the child. Now, when it comes to Jesus, it's Simeon, the old man Simeon, who sees Mary and Joseph and the child in the temple, and he praises God also in thanksgiving for the child. And then it says of John, the child grew and became strong in the spirit. What does it say about Jesus? The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. It's very similar So it's like Yogi Berra said, deja vu all over again. Why is that? It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. The reason is because Jesus and John and their mission is, is the same mission. It's so tied together. We know that, of course, John is the forerunner. He prepares the way for the Messiah. He is... Elijah all over again, talk about deja vu all over again. He's dressing in the garb of Old Testament prophets like Elijah. Camel hair, hair shirt, leather belt, locusts and wild honey, that's his food, super kosher. And he is there, and Jesus actually submits to his baptism of repentance. And why does he do this? He doesn't have any sins to repent of. He's the sinless son of God. But when he goes into the water, as Pope Benedict said in his incredible first volume of the Jesus of Nazareth series, which he wrote as Joseph Ratzinger, uh, not under his papal name, but just as a as one who seeks the face of the Lord, as he liked to say, just like we do. He talked about how when Jesus descended into the waters, he sanctified the waters. The waters didn't sanctify him. And this is really where the, the sacrament of baptism was instituted, at the baptism of Jesus. He transformed those waters of repentance into waters that can actually wash away sin and impart to us the life of God. Water gives life. There is no life without water, and there is no supernatural life without the grace of God. We get it through the sacrament of baptism. So these two are always going to be very much uh, tied together. John is, especially in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist is seen as the best man, the friend of the bridegroom. He sets everything up for Jesus. He's the divine bridegroom. He gives his life for 
for the truth of marriage. It's very poetic because he is the best man. Uh, he condemns the false merit, marriage of Herod, and he pays for it with his life. But he knows that Jesus is the divine bridegroom. And we see these two connected, and no more so than in today's, today's gospel reading, the visitation. Because, yeah, it's about Mary and Elizabeth, but it's also in many ways about John and Jesus. Because what does John do when Jesus comes near in the womb of Mary? He leaps for joy in his own mother's womb, in the womb of Elizabeth. It's incredible. And I, I don't know, maybe maybe Dr. Sri has been hanging out with Scott Hahn a lot because he uses a pretty cool pun in his book. He calls it seasoned greetings. <laughs> in those days, Mary rose and went with, with haste into the hill country to a city of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, th- this, this part here really provides us the key for how we can get some joy into our lives in what's left of Advent, we got to make the most of it, and in the Christmas season, because think about this. Mary has just found out that not only is she pregnant, but her relative Elizabeth is also expecting a child in her old age. She's three months ahead of her. Mary finds out that she's expecting a child. Elizabeth is already pregnant. But even though Mary is in her first trimester and Elizabeth's in her second, that doesn't stop Mary from wanting to go and help Elizabeth. And by the way, how long did she have to travel here? It was about 70 miles from Nazareth. And she traveled with haste. She didn't stick around. She packed up as quickly as possible, went with Joseph probably, and traveled 70 miles to the hill country of Jerusalem to serve her relative, Elizabeth. So So Mary doesn't say, hey, I'm the queen of heaven. You all should be serving me. I'm just going to kick back in an Ottoman, if you will, and uh, I'm going to kick my feet up. That's a great lesson for us, that she wasn't looking for any kind of special treatment. She was asking the question, how can I serve? How can I be of service? St. Jose Maria Escriva said, if you want to be useful, serve. And we're going to have a lot of opportunities, you and I, over these next few days, dealing with family, dealing with friends. There are going to be a lot of opportunities over the Christmas season to serve others and to, to give of ourselves like, like our lady did. And I think this is one of the keys to experiencing Christmas joy. And let, let's try to make this the best Christmas ever by serving the others. There's so many things that we can do. We can be creative with this. So Luke says that when Mary arrives, finally at the home of Elizabeth, what does Elizabeth do? She greets her. Now that's totally normal because don't forget, Elizabeth, Zechariah is a priest. They're pre, you know, it's, it's a very honorable family. Of course, Mary's going to do this. And scholars say this is exactly what you would do. Mary, uh, Elizabeth is older than Mary. She's gonna, the younger is going to greet the older. So Mary greets her. But what's really surprising is what Elizabeth says back to Mary. As Luke writes, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. That's John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, like a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So why why is why does Elizabeth just 
really get excited about this? Well, it's because, as Luke says, she is filled with the Holy Spirit. So she's not speaking really of her own accord here. These are words of God himself, God the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of Elizabeth. These accolades, and they're incredible. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Hey, guess what? Those are words from the Hail Mary prayer, in case you didn't know. So, once again, if people try to tell you the Hail Mary isn't biblical, point them back to Luke's gospel. The first part of the Hail Mary, of course, is when Gabriel, uh, at the Annunciation to Mary, at the very, very beginning, what does he say? Hail, full of grace. That's the correct translation. Hail, full of grace. And, of course, we, we just put her name in there, Mary, but, but her actual name, according to Gabriel, is full of grace. That, that's, that's her title. It's, it's the first time, actually, an angel ever greets somebody by their title in Scripture. One who has been made full of God's grace. In Greek, it's kakeratomeni. It's a past perfect. This really harkens back to the Immaculate Conception of Mary. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. All right. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That's the next line that comes to us from the visitation. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is the one speaking through her. So if people have a problem with it, they can take it up with the Holy Spirit. This is very, very scriptural, this prayer. So this is just incredible stuff. She's got the insight from God that Mary is the mother of who? The mother of my Lord. Why should this be granted to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. Now, in the Old Testament... Lord is really only used a couple of ways. It's used of God, Lord God, Adonai, or the Messianic King, the Davidic King. Uh, there's lots of examples of this in the Old Testament, Second Samuel 24, 21, Psalm 110, verse 1, which Jesus quotes, by the way, my Lord is used of the King as well. So this is a pretty big deal, because Elizabeth is recognizing that she is the mother of God, the mother of the successor, really, the successor of King David, the kingdom of God. And in the Old Testament, the only kingdom of God was the kingdom of David. So this is amazing because what she's essentially saying to Mary is that you are the queen. You're the queen of this kingdom that's being set up here. Because kings in, in David's kingdom, they had, unfortunately, they, they had a lot of wives. King Solomon had 700 wives and over 300 concubines. So who's going to be the queen? How, how, how can you tell? Are they going to are these ladies going to get into a mud wrestling contest and, and, and slug it out? Is this going to be like a WWE, I don't know, Trish Stratus kind of situation off the top rope? No, can't do it. So every king, he may have a lot of wives, and that wasn't God's plan in the ancient world. They may have had a lot of wives, but they only had one mother, and that was who the queen was, the queen mother. And we can see situations like this in, in the Old Testament. Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, was the queen, and the people would actually try to get their request to Solomon through Bathsheba. There's a great example of this in the Old Covenant. And this is exactly what happens with us when we ask Mary, through her intercession, to get our requests to the king, to King Jesus, her son. This is awesome. But here's the other thing that's really cool about this. Blessed among women. Oh, that's another loaded term here in Luke's Gospel, because this harkens back to some other heroines of the Old Covenant. And my friend Jim Burnham, great friend of the program, he's been a guest host in the past, he he talks about this, that in the Old Testament, there are types of Mary. There There are prefigurements of Mary, women who crush the enemies of the people of God. 
So in the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 4, there's a woman named Jael. And this is kind of gross, so if you have little kids listening nearby, you might want to just cover their ears for a second. It's kind of violent. It's kind of graphic. What does Jael do? She, she takes a tent peg, this big iron spike, and drives it through the skull of the evil Canaanite general Sisera. <sighs> okay. And then, in the very next chapter, in Judges chapter 5, verse 24, Deborah, the prophetess, says, says about Jael, Blessed among women be Jael. Blessed among women. Think about that. And then in the book of Judges, chapter 9, there's another woman who kills another bad guy uh, who drops a millstone on the head of King Abimelech, breaks his skull. It's pretty nasty. But then there's Judith, the heroine Judith. And this is also another good one. The evil Assyrian army was besieging the Israelites. She kind of takes matters into her own hands. And Judith actually beheads, she cuts off the head of the evil commander of the army. His name was Holofernes, which is a pretty demonic-sounding name to me. But he, he's, kind of a, he's kind of a type of Satan. He's kind of a figure of the Satan who obviously wants to persecute and destroy the people of God. So Judith cuts off the head of the general Holofernes with his own sword as he's sleeping. You can read about this in Judith chapter 12 and 13 in the Bible. And guess what it says in Judith chapter 13, verse 18. Blessed are you, daughter, by the Most High God above all the women on earth. And blessed be the Lord God who guided your blow, the blow of your sword at the head of the chief of our enemies. Whew. So how about that? The two Old Testament heroines, and the text says, Blessed among women be Jael and Blessed are you above all the women on earth about Judith. Well, these prefigure the far greater woman in the gospel, and that is Mary, who does her part to defeat the commander of the armies of evil, Satan himself, just as was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, the famous Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. As soon as humanity falls into sin, the original sin, God promises that a new Eve and a new Adam would destroy the Satan, would destroy the serpent. He's going to strike his heel, but the man will crush his head. And there will also be a woman there who is in total enmity against the devil. And that, of course, is Mary. There's just so much rich, richness here in Luke's gospel in the visitation scene. There's much more, which we'll look at later. But we're going to be right back. And as I promised, I'm not going to procrastinate about this. I'm going to tell you how you can beat procrastination in your life especially during Advent and Christmas. It's the Kale Clark Show, only on Relevant Radio. And we'll be right back. 888-914-9149. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program. It's our final live show before the Christmas season. So I want you to call in right now. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Well, I promised you that I would talk about how to defeat procrastination. But I'm going to do that later. <laughs> I want to procrastinate a little bit more because i got to take this phone call. It's Jen 
in Queens, in New York City, one of the five boroughs. Hey, Jen, welcome to the program. Hi, Cal. Cal, you do a beautiful job. I listen to both of your shows, but there's only oh, one statement that I, I, it is, I feel it's incorrect. Okay. And that is when uh, the uh, angel appeared to the Blessed Mother, and uh, she asked, you know, he asked, uh, how, how can this be? And mm-hmm. they, the, the angel never said that, you know, Mary never said, I have no husband. She said, I know not man. St. Joseph was her husband. She was already betrothed. So she mm-hmm. was already married to him. It was, it was his, uh, his wife. Yeah, well, that's that's a really good point. Now, a lot of readers, and, and depending on what English translation that you read there, Jen, and I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, published by Ignatius Press. It's the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible. It's a really good study Bible. And I like the Revised Standard Version translation. And why is it the Second Catholic Edition? Well, they just took out some of the archaic English language, like the and thou, and replaced it with more modern English, but it's it's a good translation. And this is the one that says "full of grace," by the way, which I which I love. And this is, of course, from Luke chapter one, verse twenty-eight. But you were talking about verse thirty-four because what the angel says, Gabriel to Mary, uh, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And then verse 34, which is what you're talking about, Jen. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I have no husband? Now, it does say, how can this be since I have no husband? But you are kind of correct because in the original Greek, again, don't forget, this is an English translation. The original text of Luke's gospel was written in Greek. And the Greek text actually says, I do not know man. I know not man, essentially. And, and you are also correct in saying that she kind of does have a man, in a sense, because she is betrothed to Joseph. And they're not, uh, the marriage is has not been, got to its final phase yet, of course. They're at the betrothal phase, but it's a lot different from our modern concept of engagement. Uh, in, the, in the modern world, of course, at least in North America, engagements, are a step towards marriage. It's a very serious step, but it, engagements can be broken, and sometimes that happens. Uh, people are in pre-Cana classes, and they realize, no, this isn't the right relationship. God doesn't want this, and they they break up. It's a little bit different in this case because in the first century Jewish world, betrothal essentially is already a legal marriage. Once you're betrothed, you're legally married, but the couple has not lived together. So Mary is betrothed. This is happening. But she says, well, how, how can this be? So the fact that she is betrothed to Joseph, but then still says, I know not man. This is referring to her status as a virgin, and she doesn't see that changing. And, and this is why a lot of church fathers like St. Gregory of Nyssa, St. Augustine, they sort of thought that Mary had, based on this, she must have taken some sort of a previous vow of virginity because she's already betrothed. And yet she's saying, how can I have a kid? How is this possible? Again, a very strange thing for a betrothed woman to say if she was planning on having a, a sort of normal marriage, quote-unquote, going forward. So what, what do you think about that, Jen? Husband. He actually was her husband. 
Why would she say I have no husband? Well, well, that, that's yeah. The English translation there uh, in this particular version says, "Since I have no husband," but in the original Greek, that that's the, the one that's the Word of God is the original Greek text. Uh, okay, so that that's the inspired text, and to be even more specific, it's the autograph that's inspired, the original copy of Luke's Gospel. Uh, but we we know what that text is in Greek. We have the actual text. And so we're dealing with an English translation here, but the original Greek says, I do not know man. I do not know man. So she's essentially saying, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Does that make sense? And when the angel appeared to St. Joseph, he said, uh, don't be afraid to take your wife. So what I don't understand, I just don't understand is yeah. if she, was, she did have a husband, St. Joseph. They just didn't come to live together yet, you know, as part of the betrothal. So I'm wondering why they said I have no husband. Yeah, and, and that's, that's like I said, it has to do with the original. And thanks for, so much for the call, Jen. I really appreciate that. Merry Christmas to you, and thanks for, for listening to the shows, for your kind words. And yeah, it really is a translation issue because the, the underlying Greek in Luke's text uh, says, how can this be since I am a virgin? That's essentially what it says. So, um, and it can be confusing for people. But yeah, from a legal perspective, they are betrothed. It's legally a done deal, but uh, couples were betrothed before they moved in together. And before she leaves the home of the bride, leaves the home of her father and lives with her husband. Um, but in that case, obviously, a, a different scenario going on here with Mary and Joseph. Of course, Mary being ever virgin, and yeah, with, with Joseph. And this is the the like I said, there's an annunciation to Joseph as well in Matthew's gospel, an angel has to tell him, because he's getting ready to dismiss Mary quietly, he could have had her stoned to death, because from a human perspective, she's pregnant, I'm betrothed to her, we obviously haven't lived together yet, so where's this baby coming from? He, From a human perspective, he would have had every right to turn her over to the authorities, the punishment would have been very swift and severe, but he was a righteous man, he was, must have been incredibly confused at the time, until God revealed what was going on, okay, now I get it. So we'll talk about that another time, but I do appreciate that call, Jen. All right, as I promised you, I, I do I do want to make, make sure we get this in because this is really, really good stuff. Uh, I kind of had a little tongue-in-cheek uh, joke if you saw my promo for this show on Twitter. Is it possible that Jesus procrastinated when it came to his first advent, to his incarnation, to visiting Earth? Why do I say that? Well, on the Faith Explained show today, I started a, a two-part series, going to finish it off tomorrow, on, th- these are just beautiful, the O antiphons of Advent. And these are seven antiphons that are prayed during Vespers, the official night prayer of the church, liturgy of the hours. Some lay people pray it. It has to be prayed uh, because of their office. If you're a priest, if you're a bishop, if you're a deacon, if you're part of the clergy, uh, they pray the hours every day. And during night prayer Vespers, there are these beautiful O antiphons in the octave of Advent just before Christmas time. And it goes from the 17th of December to the 23rd. And on every one of these days, there is a new O, if you will. And this is really a way to describe the coming Messiah using language from the Old Testament, beautiful hymns. And they're, they're kind of sung, these little antiphons or chanted. And the first one, we actually looked at the first three today on the Faith Explained. You can check the podcast on the brand new and improved relevant radio app. You can check that out on your favorite app store. Uh, whether it's Google Play if you're using an Android device, the Apple App Store if you're on an iPhone. You can download it for the first time if you haven't already. It's free. 
and get the update uh, if you already have it. So the first one, the first one of the O antiphons is O Sapientia, which means O Wisdom. The second one is O Adonai, O Lord. O Radix Jesse, you know, these are all Latin, right? But in English, it's O Root of Jesse. We looked at those ones today, and we'll look at the last four tomorrow, and I can't wait. They're just so incredible. But it's kind of interesting. The last four, O Clavis David, O Key of David, O Oriens, which means O Rising Sun, O Rex Gentium, O King of the Nations, and O Emmanuel is the last one, O God with us. The the monks in the church, they kind of were playing around with stuff, and they realized that, hey, if, if we go backwards, we start with the seventh one o antiphon, of the O Antiphons, O Emmanuel. If we take the first letter of the word, and we kind of go back, seven six five four three two one. If you take the first letter, Emmanuel, Rex, Oriens, Clavis, Radix, Adonai, Sapientia, take the first letter, it spells Aerocras in Latin. Now, I guess they had some time on their hands. Aerocras in Latin, what does that mean? Tomorrow I will come. It's kind of beautiful. It's a great way to kind of remember this. Actually, it's a good mnemonic device. Aerocras, tomorrow I will come. And that's where we get the word procrastinate from, crass in Latin. And I don't know what the root of this word really is, but uh, my friend, Father Eric Nikolai, great friend of the program, he's got a beautiful podcast, beautiful prayer podcast you can download called In Your Presence. Great stuff to, to help your prayer, kind of the soundtrack for your prayer med- meditations. And in a meditation they preached, he was talking about this. Tomorrow I will come. So this is where we get the word procrastination. Aerocras, tomorrow I will come. Sounds a lot like procrastination. So tomorrow, I'll do it. You know? And we, we've often said that to ourselves. And so Jesus is kind of coming, in a sense, tomorrow. He's coming uh, on Christmas. We're going to celebrate again his first coming. And he's going to come again in the second Advent, of course, at the end of the world. But you and I sometimes struggle with procrastination. So how do we fix it? Well, I think that the biggest thing that we can do, first of all, is to understand what it is, what's going on in our brains when we do this, whether you're procrastinating on buying Christmas gifts or doing your taxes or whatever it might be. You've got to figure out how to beat it because um, it's absolutely crucial. So what people sometimes think when it comes to procrastination that it's just a personality thing. Oh, they, they say, I, I, work really, I work really well under pressure. I like to leave things to the last minute because when I'm under pressure, man, I get so focused and I do my best work. That's what people say to themselves. It's not the case. It's not the case. And uh, Amanda Getz in her uh, newsletter, Life's a Game, she, ta- she talks about the battle of the brain in procrastination. It has to do with your limbic system. If you know anything about the brain... The limbic system of your brain is also called the lizard brain, if you've ever heard that. This is responsible for sort of our most primal instincts, if you will. Fight, flight, all, all of those reactions. Uh, they're very, very, like they, they come straight from the, the limbic system, the amygdala. And what happens is when you procrastinate, it's actually a battle in your brain between this limbic system and the prefrontal cortex. Now, the, fr- the prefrontal cortex of your brain depending on who you talk to. Some people think that developed later on, and this is the part of your brain where you plan, where you make decisions, where you look at the big picture. Uh, You're thinking about the future, abstract concepts. What are your goals way off in in the distance? And that's, that's sort of stuff that's not related to what happens in the limbic system. If you're being attacked by a saber-toothed tiger, 
You're either going to try to fight it, you're going to run. This is the part of your brain that, that has to do with pleasure, fear, rewards, all that sort of stuff, the limbic system. So the limbic system and your prefrontal cortex, which has to do with future planning and all that, they're constantly kind of fighting against themselves. So what you need to do, and ultimately what we'll be able to do 100% in our resurrected bodies, is that our souls will have total control over our bodies and everything will be in order. But it's not always the case right now. we got we got to fight. And so... Here's an example of what can happen. Let, let's say it's 6 p.m. Central Time. You, you've just been driving home from work. You've been listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio in your car. You get home. You plop down on the couch. And you flip on the tube. And then all of a sudden, your watch pings or your phone gives you a notification. It's time to get up and go to the gym. Why is this happening? Well, because you already scheduled this in the past. You made an appointment with yourself. And you actually even scheduled a notification for yourself for this time that when you got home from work, you would go to the gym. Now, that means that the past version of you who made that appointment wanted to do it and thought that the future you would be very happy that you did do it. But right now, <coughs> right now, all you want to do is sit on the couch, order Uber Eats, and watch Drive to Survive on Netflix or something like that. So you feel bad. You feel bad. So you start to justify. Well, you know what? I don't think I need to go to the gym today because I worked really hard. I, I put in 100% effort today. I need, uh, Lord knows, I need my rest. Or, or you kick the can down the road. You say, I'll go to the gym tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. You punt it. I'll go in the morning. And, and this happens. This happens to us a lot. If it's not the gym, maybe it's something else. But there was a study that came out uh, in the journal Nature, according to Amanda Getz, in the journal Nature, Nature Communications, they, they, did, they did a survey of 43 adults, and it kind of suggests that one of the roots of procrastination is in what they call cognitive bias, because we think that if we do something in the future, it's somehow going to be easier than if we did it now. So they did all these tests on people. If you can get a small reward now or a larger reward later, or you can perform an easier task now, a harder task later, or you could do the harder task now, which do you want to do? Well, humans tend to want the smaller reward now because they can have it now, burn the hand kind of thing. They could get a larger reward if they could just wait, but they don't want to do that. But here's the thing. This this does not work in real life. You, you might go for these quick rewards. You might want to kick the hard thing down the road. This is not good for you. And we'll explain why and how you can get out of this in the next segment. We've got to take a quick break right now on the K.O. Clark Show. But we will be right back. 888-914-9149. Call in and we'll be right back. This is the K.O. Clark Show giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Welcome back to the program, 888 Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, or maybe you're listening on the new and improved Relevant Radio app. Got great news to share with you. This is kind of our Christmas gift to you, just in time for the holidays, for the holy days. We've repackaged the Relevant Radio app version 3.0. This is really great because you can binge listen over the holidays. You can listen to our best of the week segments uh, done by the great Jake Moore. They're incredible. You can try the Saint series from the Merry Beggars. Get caught up on the Faith Explained series. All the episodes that you've missed, you can go to 
your app store and download for the first time or update the relevant radio app. There's so many incredible features that you can discover. So don't miss it. Well, we've been talking just before the break about procrastination. <laughs> A lot of people are procrastinating on their shopping, end of year activities. What are some of the reasons that we do this? What are, what are some reasons we procrastinate? Well, Amanda Getz suggests that there are eight main reasons we procrastinate. Number one, fear of failure. If you think you're going to succeed at something, you're usually going to be more motivated to do it. But if you've got a hard task ahead of you or it's really complicated and you don't, you just, you're going to kick it down the road. You're going to probably procrastinate because you just don't want to deal with it. The second reason is if a task is not really valued by you, if it's, it's sort of a, a low value task in your eyes, you're going to want to put it off because if you think it, it, if you honestly thought it was of high value for you, it would actually be advantageous for you. You'd probably do it. But when you procrastinate, it's a sign that you don't see the link between what you're doing now and your larger goals overall. And this can bleed into our spiritual life too, by the way, you might say to yourself, why should I pray the rosary today? Why should I uh, check out the family rosary across America on relevant radio with father Rocky. What, what difference will it make if I skip just one rosary? I can just do it tomorrow. You don't see the link sometimes between what you're doing now and the bigger picture of trying to become a saint. The third reason is immediate gratification. Why do we, why do we procrastinate? Well, we like to feel good now, like those tests they did uh, on 43 adults. We like to feel better now, even if it means feeling worse later. Does it feel great to be a couch potato and, and eat a bag of Doritos and have your favorite beverage? Yeah, it feels amazing. But you're going to pay for it later. What about overwhelm? That's another reason. We're feeling overwhelmed. And whenever you just get too much on your plate, too much to tackle, one of the options is don't even deal with it at all. That's what people do. They avoid it. When they're overwhelmed, instead of trying to eat the elephant one bite at a time, they just say, I'm leaving the zoo. I, I'm, I'm just going to, it's too overwhelming. I can't do it. There's too much stuff I've got to do. When you're unclear, you don't know what's expected of you. Sometimes this happens at work. Maybe you don't get clear directives. This is what's expected. You don't feel like you're set up for success. You, try, you tend to avoid those things. That You're not really clear on the objective perfectionism. Oh man, this is, this is me. This is me. Um, I, I definitely come from the school and, you know, my dad used to say, listen, if you're going to do something, do it right. You know, he had me mow the lawn, perfect lines and everything like that. And I, I tend towards perfectionism. And sometimes I think, you know, if, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing perfectly. So if I can't do it perfectly, I'll just wait till another time when I can do it perfectly. But GK Chesterton, the great GK Chesterton, he once said, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Sometimes it's better just to just to just to do it, just to get it done. If you hold yourself to really really high standards, you you can tend towards procrastination. I don't know if this has happened to you, but it's definitely happened to me. Another reason: low energy. If you're not sleeping enough, if you're not um, taking breaks, if you're not uh, engaging in proper care of your physical body. And by the way, we got to live in these bodies and serve God in these bodies for hopefully a long time. So let's take care of them. If you're not taking care of your rest, like our good friend, Dr. Brian Donahue who says, this is one of the great magnificent seven inter, uh, episodes we're going to play, by the way, during the Christmas break, it's the magnificent seven, the seven best episodes of the year. One of them is the interview we did with the great Dr. Brian Donahue, emergency room doctor at resurrection hospital in Chicago, incredible tips on health. Uh, you're not going to want to miss that one. 
That's going to be uh, coming up during the break between today and New Year's. So that, that's an important thing, um, low energy. And another, and the last one is a chaotic environment. Um, <laughs> again, guilty as charged. I, I kind of like the nutty professor. If you could see my desk, there, there's stuff everywhere. And, and sometimes this can bleed into your brain. If you've got a, a messy work environment, it, it can, it can eh, distract you from the task at hand. And by the way, even, even on your work computer, if you've got 97 Chrome tabs open at the same time, sometimes it's hard to focus on the one that you, you, you need to be doing right now. If you, if you don't turn off your phone notifications when you're doing deep work, if, you, if you're not really locked in without distraction, it, it can be very difficult and it can lead to procrastination because you always want to check that text from your friend. Oh, your phone has just pinged. What do they want? I, I need to check uh, the ESPN scores. I need to know how I'm doing in fantasy football. The answer is horrible. I didn't make the playoffs. But the lizard brain wants what it wants, right? It wants that short-term dopamine hit, so we got to fight against this. So really quickly, how, how can you beat it? Uh, just from a human perspective, you got to figure out what your values are, number one. When you're, when you're looking at the tasks that you have to do, one of the reasons you procrastinate, like we just talked about, you don't see how it's aligned with your overall goals, the life that you want. You want to become a saint but you don't want to do the action now. So you tend to put it off. So get clear on what you want in your spiritual life, in your work life, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships. Get clear on your objectives and then figure out what you need to do to get there. And then here's another, here's another mental game that you can play. Who's driving the bus? If you, if you look at your life as a bus, who's driving? Is it current you? The one who is sitting on a couch eating a bag of Doritos you know, wanting to scroll endlessly on social media, is current you driving the bus or is it future you, the, the successful version of you, the living saint who's growing personally, professionally, uh, focusing on one's health, spiritual, uh, great relationships. That person needs to be driving the bus. Let that person make the decisions. Future you, holy you, the saint you. And then uh, one last step, and this is a good suggestion by uh, Amanda Getz. The to-do list, T-W-O, as in the number two. A lot of people procrastinate because they have way too many things on their to-do list. They, they think they can accomplish 10 big items in one day. You really can't. You, you might have huge goals, but you need to break those down into accessible bite-sized chunks. The to-do list, tackle two things a day in terms of your major projects max. And that, that, is, a good, that is a good thing. It's actually actionable. And then just, just try to follow the 10-minute rule. If you're dreading doing something, just say, just say I'll, I'll do, just do it for 10 minutes. I don't want to go to the gym. I'll set a 10-minute timer. I'll work out for 10 minutes, and then I'll stop. But very often, you want to keep going because a body in motion tends to stay in motion. you got to keep that body in motion. That's what Dr. Donahue says. Clean up your environment. Turn off those notifications. These are just little things that you can do. Well, I can't believe it. These hours just fly by, and uh, we're taking a Christmas break on the Kale Clark Show starting now. We will be back in the new year, but we've got you covered. We've got the Magnificent Seven, the seven best episodes of the Kale Clark Show. We're going to be sharing them with you over the next few days, so you're going to get caught up. Download the new Relevant Radio app to do exactly that. It's a great way to do it. You can share the podcast with a friend. And don't forget, tune in tomorrow. I'm going to be talking about the last few of the O antiphons on the Faith Explained show, plus an incredible Q&A question about something that we kind of take for granted every time we go to Mass. 
That's a surprise. I'll tell you what that is tomorrow on The Faith Explained. And so join me for that live, and I will wish all of you right now, I'll take the opportunity right now to wish you all and your families and your loved ones a very, very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and a Holy New Year, most of all. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alog took your phone calls. This has been The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas season. Stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.